the seven o'clock meeting start? So seven o'clock, yeah. although Sean says it's when I say so, it's not, it's when our online audience joins us. Um, but anyway, welcome to New Freedom, welcome to Position of Neutrality. Who's here for the first time tonight? Good deal, a bunch of you. So first of all, welcome, and second, let us warn you in advance, you're liable to perceive us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships that you may have attended. The, primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a very different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years, we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. Yes? So, what we do here is I try and show you how I find my experience in the book and encourage you to have your experience with it. And if we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. How many of you have been here before and can witness for these folks that's what happens? Good. So those of you online, you can't see it because of the anonymous nature of our fellowship. However, they were raising their hand to tell you that they have been here, they witnessed, they, they have experienced the tangible flow of the Spirit as a result of a revelation when we shared some experience of God in this room. Yeah? And, and so tonight we're going to be taking a look at step 12, so we're going to have some highs and some lows. One more housekeeping measure for people who are members here. If you haven't been told, at this group and at the Saturday church service, your families are welcome. We want your families to come engage with you prior to your leaving here in, in the recovery environment, in the faith environment, so that everyone can see how you're doing and you can sort of adjust to that whole deal. Make sense? So welcome them. The doors open at 6.15, both Saturday night and Thursday night, and, and we encourage you to do that. And for the rest of you, come fellowship with us a little early because we love seeing everybody. So... Tonight we're in step 12, which is where we get to take the power out for a walk. We've gained access to tangible power. We've been given a relevant manner of living, suggested, and, and now we're going to go out and prove the power to us through us. Make sense? What's the goal of 12-step recovery? Stay sober. Stay sober. So, so I don't want to take issue, but the goal of 12-step recovery to me, is to awaken, the byproduct of which is to achieve abstinence from worldly substances, synthetic substances, which is why the 12 steps doesn't say having been struck sober as the result of these steps. What it says is having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. We celebrate abstinence in our fellowships. We celebrate spiritual inebriation in the realm of the spirit. Yes? Okay, so I'm going to start in chapter 7. It's a little chapter entitled Working with Others. And they start with some promises and conditions. Let's see if you can identify some of them. It says, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Did you find some promise there? Yes. What's the promise? Other activities will fail. Oh, Sean. 
Did you hear that promise? Right to Debbie Downer. Intensive works, but Sean's absolutely correct. Other activities will fail. What other activities? Pretty much everything you'll ever hear in a fellowship meeting is going to fail at some point if you're not taking this power out for a walk and you're, in fact, an addict of the hopeless variety. Yeah? Okay. So then it says, this is our 12th suggestion. Now, they, they say that after they've told us intensive work works, and then they put a colon, which indicates in the English language that the 12th suggestion follows. The selfish reason I would do it is nothing so much ensures immunity as intensive work with others. But that's not the 12th suggestion because the 12th suggestion would be unselfish. Since I'm trying to remove selfishness because that we think is the root of our troubles. Right? Okay, so the 12th suggestion follows. Carry this message to other alcoholics. What message? Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, rarely have we seen a person fail. At first, the past the process, and ultimately, the past the power. Yes? How many of you have been here long enough to know that the process had no power except to reveal the power in you, to you, and through you, and then you realize that the path they were talking about was indeed the power, because if lack of power was my dilemma, then the only solution to a lack of power dilemma is power. Right? Okay. So then it says, you can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. How many of you have been blessed with a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps and has had the opportunity to share this with others? How many of you have gotten to work with people for whom other methods have failed? How many of you have been humbled to watch this power move through you and restore them? Let me tell you something. You're sitting in a building based on that restoration. We believe it here, and we walk in it here. Yep. Okay. So life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. These guys used the words they meant, and they meant the words they used. They agreed on every word. They used a dictionary and a thesaurus, and they argued, the first 100, about the words they used. Why did they say this is an experience you must not miss and not a sight? They talked about all the things we would see. Yeah, it's a connection, isn't it? How many of you have seen this fellowship grow up about you and you can recognize them without ever having met them because of the signature of the Spirit on them? Interesting. All right, so we know you'll not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Perhaps you're not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. Perhaps. <laughs> Maybe true now. How many of you have met drinkers who did not want to recover? How many of you have met drinkers who do not want to recover in places you were surprised to find them? How many of you have been a drinker who did not want to recover? How many of you have, since you've awakened, found people that are desperate enough to just want to know what's up with you? You can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. They'll be only too glad to assist you. Don't start out as an evangelist or a reformer. What do they mean by that? 
Why do you think they suggested that? Yeah, so, so don't be too hard on the new people when they come out as an evangelist or reformer, because that's where we all come from, until we learn what methods work. Uh, people learning from me about the power that animates me generally inquire because of the way they see me act and not because of what they hear me say. Does that make sense? And then I can bear witness, I can honor my third step and give credit where it's due. Yeah? Okay, so unfortunately a lot of prejudice exists. You'll be handicapped if you arouse it. Ministers and doctors are competent and you can learn much from them if you wish, but it happens that because of your own drinking experience, you can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. They want you to go back to that first chapter and there is a solution. And remember when they say that you can be uniquely useful, first of all, you'll have to be properly armed with the facts about yourself. An alcoholic properly armed with the facts about himself can generally win the confidence of another in a few minutes or a few hours. And until that connection's made, this entire environment here, new freedom, is based on peers. Lived experience. Same as AA. Right? Because the doctors and the lawyers and the judges and all of them, the religious people, have all tried to talk to us, haven't they? But there's something about lived experience and the power that animates that that draws us in. Yes? Okay, so that's what they're talking to us about. So it says, it says uh, so cooperate, never criticize, to be helpful is our only aim. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about them. How would I do that? Yeah, I'm going to have to hear what's up, aren't I? It says, if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. Who's the persuader? Alcohol, Alcohol, cocaine, methamphetamines, heroin, fentanyl, much more persuasive forces. Yes? Why am I going to try and talk them out of a high they're fixing to go get? Who could talk you out of it? Okay. So it says you may spoil a later opportunity. How many of you got turned off? because of people's opinions about your use. See, my problem is not my drug use. My problem is your opinion about my drug use. Anyone relate? Okay. Um, so then it says, this advice is given for his family also. They should be patient, realizing they're dealing with a sick person. If there is any indication he wants to stop, have a good talk with the person most interested in him usually his wife, get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness of his condition, and his religious leanings. Why would I want to know all that? Because God meets us where we are, and we are to prepare to meet them where they are to the best of our spiritual ability. Does that make sense? Don't come at him with what I think. Come at him with what he thinks, and then help him understand who... Does it make sense? Okay. And then it says, you need this information to put yourself in his place to see how you'd like to be a, him to approach you if the tables were turned. How many of you got approached by people in recovery or in churches that really wasn't very kind? How many of you have duplicated that because that was the way you got approached? We have, and that's not ideal, is it? What would have been better is how would I have liked to have been approached if the roles were reversed 
so that we can start turning the tide on our ability, yes? Because most of us have had a bad experience. And I'll tell you this, if you've had a bad experience in recovery or in the church, I want to personally apologize to you for that experience. It wasn't supposed to happen, but we are human after all. Okay? All right. So I'm going to jump from there so we don't waste too much time. I'm going to go over to page 91 because most of us are going to meet most of the people we work with, at least initially, in meetings, right? So it says, see your man alone if possible. I'm in the middle of page 91 for those of you following in a book. See your man alone if possible. How many of you have tried to see your man alone? Get in the car. <laughs> Sean kidnaps him. How do, how do you, you people that are working with people actively, how do you see your man or woman alone? How many of you have gone to the meeting before the meeting? Gone to the meeting after the meeting? Hung around just to spend a little time with them, not made an assumption of who they were. Yeah? Okay. Um, at first, engage in general conversation. What's that look like? Haven't seen you here before. Do you work around here? What do they usually hear? Let's be honest. What do they usually hear in a recovery meeting? Have you got a sponsor yet? <laughs> How much time you got? Less than a minute at this point. <laughs> know what I'm saying? So you want to set yourself apart, treat them like they're humans. Right? So after a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell them enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. So I'm going to witness to you about my drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences. What were my symptoms? Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, and inability to leave it alone no matter the desire or need. Yes? If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You'll thus get a better idea how you ought to proceed. If he's not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. Why did they caution us about that? Because if he doesn't ask, you're going to scare him away when you share it. <laughs> Do you get what he's saying? How many of you know how your sobriety was accomplished? So we're not even qualified to speak about how it was accomplished. We are qualified to speak if we're properly armed about who accomplished, but accomplished it, and it wasn't me. So depending on where they're coming from, when they ask, and I blast them with power, they're going to think it's weird. <laughs> but when they ask, they're going to get hit with power, and it's going to be an encounter that's life-changing. Does that make sense? So, so then it says, if he's in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you. Being careful not to moralize or lecture. Have you gotten to a place where you can talk about your past without moralizing or lecture? talking in a disparaging way about yourself or others. That's, a, that's like a really a, a important gift for those of us who are redeemed, to learn to testify about who we've been without glorifying it or being disparaging. Because I'm talking about a dead man anyway. Does it make sense? So why would I be disparaging about a dead man? He's, he gave his life that I might live. Yes? Okay. Um, if his mood is light, 
tell him humorous stories of your escapades and get him to tell some of his. So how many of you were the type that when you got here, wasn't nothing funny? That was me. There was nothing funny. And I thought you people were idiots for sitting around giggling. How about you guys that laughed at everything? Who's that? My wife. She, she laughs. You know when she's troubled, she laughs and smiles. It's like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. Some people hide pain that way. Right? Um, so it says, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. All of this is an effort to level the playing field and see how they'd like to be approached. How would I like to be approached if the roles are reversed? I first have to see where you're at. Right? And then I'll know where to come. Okay? When he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were and how you finally learned that you were sick. So how baffled were you and how did you finally learn that you were sick? And how many of you are learning that or learned that through your step process? How many of you struggled with the idea that it was sickness and you just thought you were weak-willed? How many of you still struggle with that? How many of you struggle with the idea of an allergy? Okay, I got to help you with that because there's lots of I knew that was in the room. Thank you for raising your hand. The doctor spoke of an allergy because when a medical person speaks about an allergic condition, perhaps it may be an allergy. What he's talking about is an abnormal reaction to something. And so he's not talking about I, I drink and I break out in handcuffs, the silly joke we tell. What he's noticed about alcohol, are you a drinker? When you drank, did alcohol energize you? Did you like just get romping? It's a, it's a sedative. That's an abnormal reaction to a sedative. See, if that happens to you, that sets you apart as a distinct entity. Doesn't happen in the average temperate drinker. So. We, we have to help people understand this. This, is, this, is, this isn't a matter of choice. I had a mental illness called addictive disorder. And, and I was clinically insane. And I was restored to sanity as a result of an encounter with power and a constant bearing witness to that power which kept the schemes cast down from my mind, from that high place in my mind where the attacks come, right? Bearing witness to the fact that the sacrifice was made and I have claimed the redemption. Yes? Okay. So if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, oh, I got to do something else. Give an account of the struggles you made to stop showing the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest we, you do this as we've done it on the chapter on alcoholism. So we got to do that. I got to give you an idea what that looked like for me. In the chapter on alcoholism, they talked to us about Jim the car guy. Any of you guys students of this book? You guys remember the story of Jim the car guy? Jim the car guy owned a dealership. Didn't start drinking until he was in his 30s, but he was a pretty serious student of drinking. And shortly after starting drinking, he lost the dealership due to his drinking, and he ended up having to go to work for the dealership he once owned. Any of you lost a opportunity and had to go to work in a diminished capacity. Probably everyone, if we even made it to work, right? Depending on where we got shortcutted to. Okay, so that's what happened to Jim. So that says on his way to work, he 
found himself a little irritated. Any of you on your way to a job you desperately need found yourself a little irritated that you had to go and that you needed it? That's Jim's story. So when he got there, he had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. How many of you have gotten to work, been a little irritated, had a few words with the boss? Nothing serious. So Jim's got this thing going on, and he gets this idea. You know, although I'm at the dealership where people come to buy cars, I believe I'm going to go out in the woods looking for people to buy cars. We laugh, but how many of you have gone to the dope house to show the fellows how good you're doing? Okay. So while he's on his way out to these woods where people who don't come to car dealerships, hang out, he passes a roadside place where they have a bar. Now, he's not afraid of that because he does not pick up no matter what. You ever heard that bullshit? So he goes in to the roadside place, not a thought of drinking. He orders a sandwich and a glass of milk, and he finished the sandwich and the glass of milk, and then the thought suddenly crossed his mind that, you know, a shot of whiskey could not hurt me on a full stomach. And since he had insurance, he ordered another sandwich and another glass of milk, and he took that shot of whiskey, and that experiment worked so well that he had another. Now, they don't tell us that he then ceased the sandwich and the glass of milk, but they do tell us he had another and another and another and then another trip to the asylum for Jim. They also talked to us about, what's his name, the guy that, that goes, Fred. Fred. Fred's the guy who met the AAs, and he said, well, thanks for the information. I'm glad I'm not as bad as you fellows, but I'm just going to not pick up no matter what. And he did pretty well for a while, and then he went on a business trip, and he walked into a bar in New York, and he was walking past the bar room and then thought he'd walk in the bar room and then the thought crossed his mind, be nice to have a couple highballs with dinner. And he came to three days later in a cab. Yeah. Any of you ever were not that bad yet? Where's my, where's my, I'm not that bad yet. Okay. Do you roughly identify what you guys get with the jaywalker? It's not gonna hurt me, watch how. Okay, all right, so here's what it says. He'll match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. Did all of you come up with a story out of your story when we talked about their story? So this is how we know who they are, right? All right, so if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. They wouldn't have said that if they hadn't defined for us the real alcoholic. When did they tell us who the real alcoholic was? How many of you have read page 21, page 20? Yeah. Let's go back and let's see if any of you recognize him or her. Some of you I know, and I hope you do. I'm going to start on 20, and we'll just work our way through. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely. If they have good reason for it, they can take it or leave it alone. Is that you? So moderate's not your jam, right? Okay, so we can cross off moderate. We still don't know if we're a real alcoholic, but we know we're probably not moderate, right? 
Okay? Then it says, we, then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor become operative, this man can also stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult and troublesome, and he may even need medical attention. This is the guy that will baffle us. This is the guy that's going to sit in a fellowship room and tell a story very different than mine. How many of you had somebody who tells you, yeah, I was having trouble drinking, and I just stopped? How many of you have had that one in the family who said, why don't you just stop? Oh, Uncle Fred drank just like you, and he stopped. I'm thinking, fuck Uncle Fred. He's a quitter. This is a little tricky because he may end up in the same detox with me. He may end up in the same fellowship as me. He may even claim to have a step experience just like me. But he doesn't have the same experience with addiction that I have. And that's not his fault. He's telling the truth. He's just not telling the truth for me. See, I can't, I can't live in his truth. I have to live in the truth. There's a difference. There's a difference between his truth. There's a difference between my truth with the truth. Okay? So then it says, if we're not that guy, what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. How many of you started off with a little bit of control? Not very many of you. Good. Most of you are kindred spirits, man. I'm open the gates and let me out, right? I'm with you. All right. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. How many of you are periodics? Okay. But at some stage of his drinking career, he began to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he started to drink. So it's always about control because that phenomenon of craving, the abnormal reaction, the energized effect I get from a sedative. It's a little weird, isn't it? Where's my opiate addicts? Did you baffle them? They'd hit you with enough sedatives to knock a horse down and now you're energetic? It's a bit of an abnormal reaction. Okay, so they're going to talk to us about us. Here's the fellow who's been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. Can you think of any? He's a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Any of you experience a little personality change? He's seldom mildly intoxicated. He's always more or less insanely drunk. Where's my drinkers? How many of you, when you were insanely drunk, did not think yourself to be insanely drunk? How many of you could pull it off pretty good, and they didn't know how insanely drunk you were until they got a BAC on you? They're like, dude, you should be hospitalized. Hence my arrival. Yeah? All right, so we've identified the real drinker. You guys get a picture of who the real alcoholic is now? All right, so, so if you're satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So what is the hopeless feature of the malady? In spite of the knowledge that that's true for me, I will not be able to bring to consciousness with sufficient force the memory of suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago, and I will be without defense at some point in the future. Yep. Yes? Yep. 
And they've separated the idea of consciousness from memory. Why? Because consciousness is when I know, I'm aware that I'm aware, and memory is a perception of something past. I will make that not that bad if I'm feeling bad in the moment in order to go get the ease and comfort I know exist out there. In spite of the fact that I have no expectation of it coming out well. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I used to hear that a lot in the rooms. Insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. That's not true for alcoholic insanity. Because I did the same thing with no expectation of a different result. <laughs> this is going to suck, watch! <laughs> right? Get the cameras, this is going to be epic. Okay, so it says, Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. So how many of you had some clean time? We're working with normal people. All of them decided to go out and have a little celebration at the end of the week or something like that. Say, man, it's been a tough week. I'm going to go out and let a little steam off. Now, I have much knowledge of myself as an alcoholic, as an addict, but I had a tough week too. Why can't I go out and let a little steam off? Any of you ever had a thought like that? How many of you went and found out why you couldn't? Because they all went home and I went and lived under a bush. That's why I can't. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. So don't at this stage refer to this book unless he's seen it and wishes to discuss it. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Why? What does it matter, my opinion of their condition? What did it matter, other people's opinion of my condition? Not, not a bit, right? So it says, let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can, if he's not too alcoholic. Does that sound a little coarse, a little rough? We're not throwing him under the bus. We're saying if you can control it, go forth and control. Shoot heroin like a gentleman, for fuck's sake. Does it make sense? Why am I? I'm not the persuader. Okay. But insist that if he's severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Why do I know that? Because through every method I tried to recover by myself. Can't do it. Because self's a problem. Make sense? Okay. So continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. So the conditions of body and mind are what? If we're speaking in Alcoholics Anonymous, we talk about craving and obsession. That can be confusing, but that's what the doctor uses as language. But in practical experience, how many of you were a little baffled by the fact that you knew that you shouldn't do any more than a little? And then you started, and then you just changed the mark a little. Any of you limit yourself? I'm only going to spend 20? I'm only going to stay for an hour? How many of you, how many of you decided, well, I'm, I'm going to lose my sobriety date, but I'm going to pick one that's more convenient. I've got a birthday coming in a couple months. Any of you, 
any of you decide to just adjust your sobriety date and find out nailing down the decade was particularly difficult? <laughs> I've seen people tell me that. Okay, so, so explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Guys, we watch them pass here and in our community, the recovery community, every day, don't we? So that, that there's, we can say that with gravity. Okay. Um, keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you may talk to them about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. Do you feel like that's like a gift or do you feel like that's a responsibility? Yeah, it, it's a gift, and it, it's, a, it's a burdensome opportunity and a burdensome responsibility, right? Because I'm obligated to introduce them to the solution, and I'm not the solution, and meetings aren't the solution. The power that animates me that directed me to them is the solution. And i got to say that regardless of how they respond to the fact of this encounter they're about to have Right? How many of you have had to go explain that to people who did not receive it well? Okay. That's the way it is. So you'll ha soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, the traits of an alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him he's an alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he's become very curious to know how you got well. So how many of you have had that encounter? Got to talking to somebody. They seemed to know what they were talking about. And even though you thought it sounded a little weird, Pretty soon you kind of give it up. Tell me, don't tell me this other nonsense I've been hearing. Tell me what's really up. Tell me something. I've been listening to nonsense for years. Tell me something real. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. Let him ask you that question if he will. Tell him exactly what happened to you. They wrote that in italics because it's so profound. What did Ebby say to Bill? I've got religion. No matter who, yeah, he told the whole story, right? But that whole thing, if I'm sitting there drunk and drinking and have been a pronounced atheist all my life, and the guy I know can't be sober sitting before me sober, and I say, what's this about? And he says, I've got religion. The fun meter just goes, yeah. here goes a fucking lecture. Yeah? That's just Bill's approach. I, we have to have the, we have to have the, I'll tell you what happened to me. I went to detox after detox after detox. I did not stop unless they locked me up or chained me up. I, I woke up after many days, four pointed on a bed, still went out and did it again. And finally, I ended up just beat bad enough. I went to one more detox. This guy came in, I met him, and I knew if he could tell me what was going on with him that restored him to the man I saw before me, I would be forever changed. And I asked him if he would, and he came and met me, and I am, and I was, and I, that's the story. I, was, I never stopped until I encountered the power. I had nothing to do with it, but someone paid that never-ending debt and came to me and was dignified me with the truth. That make sense? Okay, so stress the spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic he does not have to agree with your conception of God. Why not? 
None of us can fully define or comprehend that power which is God. Regardless of how convinced they may be, it doesn't matter. No matter how convinced any of us may be, none of us should put God in a box. Right? Um, and what does it matter if you believe in my conception? I'm not going to talk to you about conceptions anyway. I'm going to talk to you about realities. I'm going to point to you that what you're feeling while you're communicating with me is not happening in me. It's happening in you. And that only happens because we're connected in the spirit. No matter how dead you think you are, you are alive because of this encounter. Does it make sense? He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. This is where we get in the weeds in the rooms. People take that and say, well, you pick any conception you want. I got a sock named Oscar. I got a doorknob. No, 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 no. Stop that nonsense. Precise instructions. Where do we find this power? Deep down inside. How do we recognize this power? Power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowing into me. Tangible power, relevant power. It's not out there, guys. It's the better version of you already living in you. Everything else in your whole life prepared you for this moment to walk out, take this power for a walk. Okay. So the main thing is that he'd be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he lived by spiritual principles. How many of you still have trouble with believing in a power greater than yourself in spite of all that? Because this is the point when I'm working with somebody is if you do not believe in a power greater than yourself, do not waste time in our rooms. You're wasting valuable high time. If you do not believe that heroin, methamphetamine, cocaine, or alcohol are a power greater than you, then there is nothing to talk about. We're not talking theologies, just does the chemical own you or not? And if it does not, then go forth and shoot heroin like a gentleman. <laughs> but if it does, I know a liberator. Right? Okay. So in, when dealing with such a person, you'd better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. Why? Because that's the way we approach. Because that's the way I was approached. They met me where I was. They used everyday language. They didn't talk to me about theology. They talked to me about relationship. They talked to me about power. They told a, a, a man who'd been walking around dead for years that I wasn't dead. That, in fact, I could live. Yes? So when dealing with such a person, you better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. There's no use in arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues no matter what your own convictions are. Your, your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. In that case, he's going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. How many of you have worked with somebody really religious? Any of you? Me too. I was working with a, a guy in rabbinical training one time, and he asked me what my understanding was of the, the sacred texts, the Torah, the Kabbalah, the Talmud. Those. I said, absolutely nothing, man. <laughs> However... I am a friend of the author. And so we got to talking, and all of a sudden, flowing out of me, 
was information that was connecting all those teachings to his experience and his redemption that was preeminent. And he says, wait a minute, how did you know that? And I said, I already told you, I did not know that, but you ain't talking to me. That's a true story. I've had lots of them, but that one was profound. Um, so, so in that case, he's going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows, but he'll be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seem to work so well. He may be an example of the truth that faith alone is insufficient. How many of you have had great faith and still couldn't get well? So a lot of us know that, right? To be vital, what do they mean by vital? Life-sustaining, right? Right? So to be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. i got to put all of that to use so I can unpack in order to have a different story to tell. Yes? Okay. So let him know that you're not there to instruct him in religion. Admit that he probably knows more about it than you do, but call to his attention the fact that however deep his faith and knowledge, he could not possibly have applied it or he would not drink. And when you do that, they're going to be pissed, just so you know. But that's okay. Being mad and moving away and then coming back when they've had time to reflect is often the way it goes. All right, I'm going to jump over to page 94. It says, outline the program of action explaining how you made a self-appraisal. So what is the program of action? There's a, there's a myth in our fellowship rooms that going to meetings is our program. Are you in the program? Not If you're not in this book, you're not in the program. Why do I always call that to people's attention? Because people die because of misinformation. You're not in the program unless you're in the steps. If you're in the manner of living, if you're bearing witness, if you're serving, then you're in the program. If not, if you're just parked in a chair, you can park in any damn chair, probably have the same effect. <laughs> Sit in a pond, quack, see if you're a duck. <laughs> Outline the program of action explaining how you made a self-appraisal. How would I do that? I can't explain how I did it if I have not done it, correct? Not with any credibility. How you straightened out your past and how, why you're now endeavoring to be helpful to him. How did I straighten out my past? Made amends for harms done. I asked them what I could do to make it right, and when they told me, I summoned power within me to treat them differently than I had treated them before. Even people I did not like after the fact. Any of you ever been kinder than you felt like being because you were empowered in the spirit to treat them according to specification? What's that but a power greater than you operating through you? Okay, so it's important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital part in your own recovery. You get that, right? The reason we serve is because that is how the schemes are cast down. His sacrifice, my testimony. Yes? Okay. So actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. How many of you have learned that little truth? I can assure you, everyone I've ever worked with has helped me more than I've helped them, because the vast majority of them have vanished. And I have not. Um, make it plain that he's under no obligation to you, that you hope only that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Why do I hope that for him or her? 
Because that's how we unpack. That's how we get rid of the bondage of self. That's how I get rid of the guilt, shame, and remorse. I put my past to better use. I, I use it to avert suffering for others. Does that make sense? And if I don't do that, no matter what else I do, I won't fully unpack. I won't get beyond my own damaged idea of who I am. And the whole point of 12-step recovery is to learn who you are and whose you are. And then walk in that. Okay, so, so it says, suggests how important it is that he placed the welfare of other people ahead of his own. How many of you have discovered how hard that is to do? Like, through human effort, it's virtually impossible because we struggle, don't we? Okay, so, so it said, make it clear that he's not under pressure, that he didn't see you again if he doesn't want to. That is a description of the modern experience of grace. You've just encountered power to completely rearrange your life. You don't have to see me again if you don't want to. And I'm not the least bit anxious to convince you of anything. But if you're wanting to get free, I'll walk with you as far as you want to go. There's power in that, right? Okay, so you should not be offended if he wants to call it off. Or he's helped you more than you've helped him. They have to remind us of that, right? How many of you have worked with somebody... Spent hours with them, and then they said, hey, by the way, I'm going to work with somebody else. Okay, but what did they show me? I, I'm guaranteed a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, regardless of what side of the table I'm on. What did they show me? What, what ob- yeah, what obligation did he have to work with me simply because I spent time with him? Absolutely none. I'm attached to a result that's not mine to claim. Does that make sense? So he showed me a great deal about eliminating suffering. You eliminate attachment, you eliminate suffering. Yes? So so if your talk's been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you've perhaps made a friend. Maybe you've disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. This is all to the good. How many of you talked to somebody who was armed with the facts about themselves, didn't try and convince you, and you went home and on, on reflection were a little disturbed about your condition? even though the bluster in you wouldn't allow you to acknowledge it at the time. Any of you had that experience? So this is all to the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He'll be more likely to follow your suggestions. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all the program. How many of you have had that happen? How many of you have been that guy? The program doesn't end, so... It's a, we don't always explain that very well. When I make my decision in three, I've agreed to advocate for my brother and sister as long as I have breath in my aim, in my lungs. So, so I, there's no end to the steps. I didn't work the steps. I lived the steps. And as I grow, it's not a workbook exercise. It's levels of consciousness that are brought on by an awakened spirit. And, and oftentimes during the day, I fall back into sleep even while I'm awake. You ever been walking around awake dreaming you're asleep? Or walking around asleep, dreaming you're awake, I should say. I heard it said that way, right? And all of a sudden you start thinking the world's causing how you think and feel, which is not possible. The world can simply reflect how you're thinking and feeling because of who you are and whose you are. Okay, so he may, may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning which requires discussion with other people. How many of you have had that problem? I'm not telling them nothing. 
Do not contradict such views. Tell him how you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you'd made much progress had you not taken action. You know why? Because I learned I, every dirty, nasty thing I ever did that I was afraid you would find out about me, I've been able to put to purpose to help someone else who did a dirty, nasty thing and didn't think they could be redeemed. And I had to bear witness that I did that very thing. I know exactly how you think and feel. I once thought and felt as you did. But I don't think I'd have got to here where I can talk to you about it had I not once told this one man who loved me enough to just carry me through it. Does that make sense? Okay. So, so on your first visit, tell him about the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. See, they were better about it back then. We have a program, and then we have a fellowship. The fellowship is where we go to celebrate our common solution. Not the steps, that's the program. The solution, the power that binds us, right? Okay. If, he, if he's shown interest, lend him a copy of this book. Unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. We make that mistake too. Sometimes we want to talk about ourselves, don't we? But it's not about me, it's about the power in me, and it's really more important that they talk now. Yeah? Okay. Give him a chance to think it over. If you do stay, let him steer the conversation in any direction he likes. Sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once, and you may be tempted to let him do so. This is sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he's likely to say you rushed him. So some of us, you know, we try and yank people through, like, but it, it always requires participation. It always requires, I can't want for you more than you want for you, right? Okay. Um, I'm going to jump from there so I don't run completely out of time over to page 96, top of the page. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. How many of you have worked with people that did not respond at once? How many of you watched them bounce a little? Okay. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You're sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. You'll find somebody who desperately wants access to the spirit, desperately wants that experience you're sharing with them. They, they will pursue and you will, as you grow in consciousness, you'll know. You just will know. Yes? Um, if you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. How many of you got 12-stepped and then it took a minute to sink in and thought, well, maybe I better go try that shit. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. Again, it's showing me attachment. I'm not going to be effective if I get attached to outcomes. I'm going to share it with you, and if not, I'm going to keep moving, right? Um, one of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. Now, this book was written in 1939. They're talking about Bill Wilson. 30, 30, well, from 35, didn't they publish in 39? Yeah, so, so what I want to get everyone to understand is all the millions that have come since might have been deprived of that opportunity if he had stayed attached to the first six. That's, that's the gravity. of we, we serve a God of multiplication. So, you know, if it's, if it's not being received, move on, right? Okay, so suppose you're now making, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I want to go to page 97 just because it makes me chuckle. 
Never avoid these responsibilities. They went into taking people into your home, helping them meet their needs in various ways. Never avoid these responsibilities, but make sure you're doing the right thing if you assume them. How do I know by this stage of my development whether I'm doing the right thing? Prayer and meditation. This, I'm supposed to be walking consciously now. How many of you have just known what you were supposed to do even though everyone around you thought, that's not what you should do? Okay. Uh, helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. Now they're bringing it home. How many of you think your recovery can support you without a foundation? Who wants to take that risk? So helping others is the foundation stone, right? What you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do under me. Yeah? Okay. Um, a kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act a good Samaritan every day if need be. Any of you know that story from another book? All the people who were supposed to help didn't help. But the one who surely should not have helped was the good neighbor, wasn't he? Okay. So it may mean the loss of many nights sleep. How many of you working with others have lost some nights sleep? Let's bring it home. This is, this is the big amends. Twelve is, the reason I do nine is to get fit enough to do the big amends, which is twelve. How many of you caused a lot of people loss of sleep? So that's a debt that's going to remain unpaid until I start serving and walking with this power. Yes? Um, great interference to your pleasures. How many of you caused people to miss something they were planning on doing to come pull you out of a jam? Interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money or your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. Any of you had people visit you in those places? Do you remember any of their names? Do you remember that they visited you? Isn't that interesting? They're never going to know, but somebody cared enough to see them. I like to tell our members here, before you got here, there was times when you were in your situation where you thought nobody cared about you, no one thought about you, and I want you to know we've been thinking about you for years. This is evidence of it. For years. Because God saw your plight and he put it on our hearts to do this for you years before you ever heard of us. Um, your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she's neglected. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he's violent. Sometimes you'll have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. Another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally you'll have to meet such conditions. How many of you now as you're serving others have met those conditions? We do, yes? The guy who took me through the steps says, those are the 12-step promises. I thought, what an asshole. But in fact, they're really the 12-step job, job description. Because I did that to somebody else, so now I'm going to do it for somebody else. Because that's the nature of amended lives. Yes? Um, I'm going to jump from there to page 98. And it says... Last week we talked about it's time to grow in understanding and effectiveness. Any of you here last week remember that? Okay. And we said understanding of what, effectiveness at what. And we just sort of speculated. Now they're going to tell us precisely. So it says it's not the matter of giving that's in question, but when and how to give. Yeah. 
That often makes the difference between failure and success. How do I know when and how to give if it makes the difference between failure and success if I'm not walking consciously? I don't, do I? Because I'm seeing with these eyes and thinking I'm meeting a need or I'm pre pre preventing an experience instead of listening to these eyes and moving in the indicated direction. Yes? Okay. Um, the minute we put on our, our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. He clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. How many of you agree with that position? The authors say nonsense. How many of you learned that? How many of you lost everything? Used anyway. How many of you had a bunch of stuff and used anyway? So I had the wife, had the job, lost the job, lost the wife, didn't stop what I was doing. Right? All right, so we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of our dependence upon God. Okay? So burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. They told us the message that can reach these alcoholic types must have depth and weight. In order to burn into your consciousness, I must evoke spirit so the spirit in you responds. Amen. Yep. Cannot transmit what I do not have, nobody can. And the other side of that is you cannot receive that which you don't already have. Otherwise, it's just nonsense. Does it make sense? Yes, okay. So the only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. Why would he trust in God? Because he just had his encounter. He just felt it. I know he just felt it. I know you just felt it. I've had a guy say, I didn't feel anything. I said, well, tell the hair on your arms. <laughs> tell someone who does not know what just happened to you. Because I know what just happened to you. Because it just happened to me. Yes? Okay. You know what? Let's stop. Thanks. Yeah.